0: Uh, This morning, in the brief amount of time that we have left, uh, our lesson today comes from Luke chapter 17, um, and I'm going to ask you one more time to turn in your scriptures to Luke 17, and if you would, would you stand with me this morning as we read from the gospel of Luke together? Luke 17, we're going to be reading verses 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and plant it in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And this morning, in the brief amount of time that we have left, I want to explore a question that pops up From today's text, and it's a question that relates not only to Christian life, but it relates to just life in general. And the question is this In whom or what is your faith placed? In whom or what is your faith placed? Now, notice I didn't ask, Do you have faith? Because you do. You do have faith. You possess faith. It just may not be in Jesus. It might be in something else. We could make a laundry list this morning of the false gods that we love to put our faith in. Number one on the list is ourselves. Living to serve yourself, living to basically worship yourself, believing in yourself. It could be your spouse. It could be a boss. It could be some politician. It could be your money. It could be your retirement. It could be your education, your career. I mean, we could literally go down the list. Of things that we are apt to trust rather than Jesus Christ. Because they seem more real, like they seem more efficacious, they they seem like they can actually do something. It's a lie that we believe. And the contention of Scripture is that if your faith is placed in any of those things, not only is it misplaced, it's powerless. It's powerless. It might seem like the right thing, but it doesn't actually do anything for you, anything meaningful, anything eternal, anything salvific. What Jesus teaches us today is that the power of one's faith has little to nothing to do with, like, the amount of it that you possess. Our tendency is to perhaps think of faith in the way that we think about the gas tank on our car, And this is kind of how the disciples are thinking about it in this exchange. Like, like I've got a quarter tank of faith or something. It'll only take me so far. But I meet people, man, it's like they've got a full tank of faith. And, And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Like, you're missing the whole point here. It's not about how much you have in your tank. It's about what's in your tank. Right? If you're going to get in your car and start it up, it really doesn't matter if you have a full tank of gas or if you have a quarter tank of gas. What matters is that there's gas in the tank. Right? If you have a full tank but it's filled with water, you're not going anywhere. Right? This is the point that Jesus is trying to make here. In order for your car to start up and run, it's got to be filled with the right thing. So again, the question is not how much faith do you have, the question is not, do you have faith? The question is, in whom or what is your faith placed? And another very biblical way to ask that question is to ask, to whom or what are you loyal? To whom or what are you loyal? Like, what, like what do you really trust? What have you really dedicated yourself to? Some Bible scholars point out that the word that we interpret or translate as the word faith could just as easily be interpreted or translated as the word allegiance because Jesus is our king. And so to place our faith in him, to be faithful to him, looks like what? It looks like allegiance to the king. It looks like loyalty to the king because scripture teaches us that faith is not simply an issue of thought, like here's what I think about God. Faith is seen more in how what you think leads you to act, how what you think leads you to live. Faith is an issue of fidelity, ultimately. And that may not be a word that you use a lot, but if you were to look it up, here's the definition. Fidelity is faithfulness to a person, cause, or belief demonstrated by continuing loyalty and support. So notice there's kind of two parts to that faithfulness loyalty to a person cause or belief but it's demonstrated like we can look at you and we can see that in action it's not just something you say if there's fidelity then we can look at you and see that it's true it influences how you live A word that we might be a little bit more familiar with or might use more often is the negative, infidelity. Most often when we use that word, we're talking about romantic relationships, we're talking about marriage. But notice, we don't ever think of marital fidelity in quantitative terms, like, like how much is there, right? To, to be kind of faithful to your spouse is to be unfaithful to your spouse, To be half-faithful to your spouse is to be unfaithful to your spouse. We're far more concerned with quality than we are with quantity. In, In the same way, if you've ever told a lie, you're a liar. And you might think, well, I don't lie all the time, but that's not the question. The question is, are you truthful? Have you ever been untruthful? If you've been untruthful, Do you follow me this morning? Let's give a little context to all of this. Look at verse 1 of chapter 17. So this whole exchange is coming on the heels of what's known as the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in chapter 16. And that's one of my favorite parables. Um, and, And in that parable, Jesus tells this story about an evil rich man who is using his wealth to live a life of luxury. It says he feasted sumptuously, is the language of the scriptures. And meanwhile, right outside his door is the impoverished and afflicted Lazarus. And at the end of both of their lives, the rich man dies and goes to hell. Lazarus dies and goes to heaven. And if you know the story, the rich man in hell, he, he's able to look up into heaven, he sees Lazarus right next to Father Abraham, and he calls out and he says, Father Abraham, would you send Lazarus back from the dead? Like, would you send him back to my family to tell them not to come here? And what Abraham says back to the rich man is, listen, your family has Moses, and they have the prophets, meaning they have like the scriptures of the Old Testament. And what he says, and, and I think we miss this sometimes, is he says... If they're not willing to believe Moses and the prophets, then they're not going to believe even if someone rises from the dead. And the irony of that is not long after Jesus tells this parable, guess what? Somebody's going to rise from the dead, and they're not going to believe. They're not going to follow him. And so Jesus tells this story, and then he says, verse 1, he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, turn to him seven times saying, I repent, or t- and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So much like the rich man faced the temptation to use all of his wealth on himself, so you will also face temptation, Jesus says. It's not a question of, if it's, it's a question of when. It's, it's going to come. And, and next he says that temptation is going to come through other people. And, and listen, there's a whole sermon here to be preached on, just verses 1 and 2 of this, um, which are sometimes misused. But the point is verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. This is not a new teaching for Jesus, by the way. Way back in chapter 6 of Luke Jesus said something like this. He said, before you try to get the speck of dust out of your brother's eye, first get the log out of your own eye so that you then might help him get the speck of dust out of, out of his own eye. And sometimes we hear that teeth taught on and, and we, we, we come away and we go, Jesus is just saying, don't be a hypocrite. But he's, he's saying more than that. He's saying, worry about yourself. Because look at all this sin in your life that you're turning a blind eye to and busying yourself with all of this concern about everybody around you and the things that they're doing wrong, right? And, and in some way, you're making yourself feel better about your own sin because much like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they were looking around and going, well, thank God I'm not that guy. How many of us are doing the same thing unconsciously? At least I'm not that, man. I may not be perfect, but I'm not that guy. And yet it's not a question of quantity when it comes to sin, right? So this wasn't a new teaching for Jesus. Pay attention to yourself. One, that you are not seeking to intentionally entice others to sin. And two, that you're not allowing the behavior of others to lure you into sin. So here's the example he gives, verse three. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So your brother's sin, the thing that he did wrong, might in some way entice you to sin as well. Isn't that interesting? The thing, not that you did, but that someone else did, might actually be a catalyst to prod you into your own sin and you might feel righteous in it because he started it, right? I'm responding to his sin, but it can easily become your sin. Pay attention to yourself. You know, we've actually seen some of this play out this past week in the news and on social media in the court case of Amber Geiger, the police officer in Dallas, uh, who killed Botham John, African-American man in his apartment. And I didn't see a whole lot about this court case on social media when it first started until, probably like many of you, until the end when they invited family members up to make statements. And as you probably saw on the news or on Facebook or something like that, the brother of Botham Jean comes to the front of the courtroom and looks at this police officer and says, I forgive you. He says, I want the best for you. And then he called her to give her life to Christ. Like, it was this incredible thing. And then all of a sudden, my Facebook feed is just filled with that story. Why? Because it's radical, man. Like, that, that's otherworldly type stuff. That, that's not how people behave, y'all. In our world and in our culture, that's not how people behave. That's not what people do and so when we see a little glimpse of that we're like our minds are blown and now there's just like all of this endless commentary that you can read about what that meant and what it was and how to respond to it blah 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 but everybody's just blown away because that kind of thing does not take place and yet here's the thing y'all in the kingdom of God in the culture of the kingdom of heaven that kind of behavior is common it's ordinary it's ordinary It's to be expected. Now, go with me on this for a moment. So this girl has been sentenced to 10 years in jail. Let's say, hypothetically, she gets out of jail in 10 years and then goes immediately and kills another family member of that same family. See, this is where the teaching of Jesus kind of leaves the realm of reality for many of us. For those of us who were amazed that that happened even one time, the teaching of jesus says oh and then you forgive her again and then you forgive her again and much like the disciples you're probably thinking i could never do that i would have to be an idiot to do that right so the disciples hear this and they rightly think That is not possible for us. And the response is, increase our faith. Increase our faith. We don't have enough faith, right? My tank isn't full enough. There's no way that I could ever do anything like that. And the disciples are right. And that thing, that that thing right there of, there is no way that I can live up to the standard that Jesus sets, that's that's the thing that I want you to grasp onto this morning because that is key. Guys, we are being called to something that we, through our own power, through our own effort, through our own ability, something we cannot do. And I'm not just talking about forgiving your neighbor, forgiving your brother, forgiving the killer of somebody in your family member. I'm, I'm talking about this, this whole Christ life that we have been called to. To actually not, not just place our mental assent, our belief in Christ, but to actually become his disciple and to actually begin pattering our life after him saying, who is Jesus? What did he do? How did he live? How did he think? How did he act? And man, how do I put that into practice in my life? That is what it means to be a disciple, that we would be growing up into Christ. It's what we committed to do just a few minutes ago with our kids, that we would teach them the gospel, that we would live this Christ life before them, that we would seek to grow them up into Christ. Grandparents, that you would do the same. And yet we can't do it. It's not within your power to do it. You could be the greatest, most moral, most loving person to ever live. Mother Teresa times a thousand. And here's the thing, that will not earn you a seat at God's table. That will not earn you a place in the kingdom of heaven. There is no way that you could ever be made right before God. Or another way to put that is, as Jesus is calling you to forgive, there is no way that you through your own effort could ever be forgiven you can't do it and yet God has done it through Christ because you can't do it he has made a way for you and here's the kind of the full circle catch we access that through faith. Not through having a lot of faith, but through having faith in Christ. Not through having faith in myself, not through having faith in some politician, or money, or stuff, or this person, or that person, or this thing, or that thing, but through faith in Christ. If you want the kind of forgiveness that Jesus is calling us to exhibit to the world, we only access that through faith in Christ. Amen? Amen, that it is not our effort. It's not through our action. It's not through our own self-redemption. You know, there are a lot of people out there in today's world who have bought into the notion that what primarily matters is that I'm a good person that I'm just in general a good person. There are Christians that think that. There are non-Christians that think that that, that I'm going to die, and you know what's going to primarily matter is that j- I've just been a good person. And, and it's amazing to me that there are people who don't even believe in God who think that because I, I just throw out to you, if that's you this morning, you, you are like confirming that you think there is some kind of judgment that comes after death. If you think it's going to matter that you were a good person after you died, but there's no God, then you are saying, I do think, though, that there's going to be some kind of cosmic judge that I, I'm going to come in front of, that, that there's going to be some kind of an accounting for my life after I die, that it's somehow going to matter that I've been a good person. But just realize how ridiculous that is. If, if there is no God, but yet you believe that there's, there's going to be some kind of cosmic judge, and that judge is going to judge based on your 21st century American idea of what goodness is. That, does that seem a little bit ridiculous to any of you? The question is not, have you been a good person? The question is, is your faith in Christ? The question has not been, it's not going to be, how much faith did they have? This person had a little bit more, this person had a little bit less. No, no, no. That your faith is in Christ and Christ alone, as we sang earlier. Man, the beauty of this is this is where power comes from. And, and, and our faith, when it is in him, man, not, o- not only does he forgive, he forgives again and again and again and again and again. Christ has saved. He is saving and he will save. So what do we do in light of this truth? Let me close with this. We do something that the scriptures call Repentance. Repentance is when you take the faith that you have and you remove it from whatever it's placed in and you turn and you place it solely in the person and work of Christ. uh, Repentance is not simply about feeling sorry for your sin. It's not simply about feeling shame for your sin. It's about removing your faith from whatever it's in and turning and placing it in Christ and saying, Jesus, you are my only hope. You are my future. You are the one to whom I am seeking to be loyal. That is what it means to repent. And the final point that Jesus drives home in all of this is that you are not worthy of any of that. I am not worthy of any of that. We are supremely undeserving of what he has done for us. And yet, because of his love, because of his grace, because of his mercy, he has poured out his forgiveness on us if we will take our faith and turn to him. So your posture, if you recognize that, if you realize that, your posture is not as um, maybe like the prodigal son, entitled to the riches of the father, but your posture is that of unworthy servant who is so in awe of what God has done for you That you not only say, I give you my faith, but you say, Lord, whatever you want. Like, I am yours. I am your unworthy servant. I don't deserve these children. I don't deserve the home I have. I don't deserve the job I have. I don't deserve the family I have. I don't deserve to be born in America. I don't deserve any of these things, but you have given them to me. And that's nothing compared to your forgiveness. That's nothing compared to the salvation that you've placed on my life. So I am unworthy. And I give you the whole of my life. Let me close this morning with this passage of Scripture. And if you, if you would, just close your eyes with me. I want to read this over you. This is the Apostle Paul writing and describing this glorious exchange that takes place. Listen to this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven let's pray together father we are in all of you this morning even as just we read your word and we see what you have done god i pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of your gospel this morning that we would not leave here and just go back to our lives where we're serving ourselves or serving others primarily but that instead father that all of us would be continually repenting of that that we would recognize that repentance is not a one-time thing that every day we would be waking up and saying I'm an unworthy servant and placing our faith in Christ fathers through the power of your Holy Spirit fill our lives guide us to truth guide us to hope And Father, guide us towards the things that will bring life not only to ourselves, but to others. May we seek to model Jesus in our lives. Would you give us that ability through your spirit? In some small way, Father, may others catch a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is like through our lives. And may we be quick to recognize that they're simply seeing you at work. We thank you for what you have done on the cross. We thank you for the faith that you extend to us and call us into today and the mercy that you extend to us. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.